Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. A few years ago, I was attending a church planters roundtable, and the topic that we were discussing was staff dynamics. And the room was packed with like 70 or 80 pastors all over the D.C. area, and it included lead pastors as well as support staff, so worship kids, uh, outreach, etc. And as we were discussing like how lead pastors support their staff and care for their staff, one of my friends who's actually an associate pastor, he's the number two guy uh, at, at a local church, actually shared a story about how he cares for his lead pastor. And he talked about how on Sunday mornings, he made the decision that moving forward, that he was always going to make his pastor a hot tea every Sunday. And I remember sitting in this room, like hearing this story and thinking, okay, like where, where is he going with this? Like what's the, what's the point of this? And he continued to share that there was a Sunday where his lead pastor, after first service, they had multiple services, walked out to the lobby to make a tea. And as he was there, uh, people began to talk to him and ask him questions and share things with him, try to schedule meetings. And he spent so much time talking and caring for the people that were there, he never got to finish making his tea. It was a cup with just a bag in it. And so his support staff person decided in that moment, uh, before first service would ever end, he would make him a tea so when he came out, he could grab it and he could go. And so after he shared that story, immediately the other pastors in the room started to mock him for doing that. They harassed the lead pastor for making his staff get him tea. Uh, they told my friend that essentially he was just a glorified intern. And the room actually turned weirdly hostile. But after a few minutes of listening to everyone's opinion on it, my friend responded by saying, this isn't about my job. This is about honor. And he went on to talk about all the ways that his lead pastor cares for him. And he said, it's just a small way on a Sunday morning that he can care for his boss, his friend. This isn't my job. This is about honor. I remember driving home that day and I couldn't stop thinking about this story. And to be honest, I, I kind of struggled with it a little bit. I was kind of like in the middle of the conversation. I didn't really know how I felt. And we hadn't started Collective yet, so I didn't love the idea of hiring a staff member and telling them that they needed to make me tea because it felt very high and mighty. But I couldn't stop thinking about and wrestling with this idea of honor. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, this idea of honor. We're going to be talking about what is honor? How do we honor people? Where does honor begin? And before I get into today's specific topic, I, I need to set the foundation for this series by giving you just a broad picture of who Jesus is, what he's about, and what we come here, church, for. So in John chapter 1, and John is one of the biographies of Jesus that we have in the Bible. It's written by the Apostle John. John writes this. He writes that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's what Jesus is all about. They go together. And we learn that you really can't have one without the other. If it's just truth or if it's just grace, it doesn't work. Let me break this down a bit. So grace is Jesus dying for your sin, even though you don't deserve it, right? Like our sin, our shortcomings separate us from God. They put a wedge in between us and God. And the only way that we can be in a relationship with God is if a debt is paid for the sin in our life. And so Jesus paid that debt for us simply, and he did it because he loves us. And the reality is he wants us to be in a relationship with God. So he paid that debt, that's grace. And grace is needed because we have chosen our entire life to be in charge. 
right? You have chosen to be your own God. You have chosen selfishness for your entire life, but your father in heaven sent his son to die as a perfect sacrifice in your place, right? You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't be so bad that you lose it. That's grace. It's undeserved. It's uncalled for. It's unmerited, right? Grace is extravagant. It's eternal. There is no catch. There is no fine print. It's free and it's forever. And this is what Jesus offers, and so Jesus came so that we can live freely and lightly. Jesus came so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus wants you to live out the approval you already have from him, not in a way that seeks out approval of him, right? You can't earn it. Like the approval is free and that's grace. And so Jesus says, I want to adopt you into my family. He says, I've paid the cost. All you have to do is accept it. He says, once you do that, you're forgiven forever. So if you're ever wondering why people follow Jesus, this is why. It's because we need grace. It's because we want grace. It's because many of us have accepted that free gift of grace. But Jesus doesn't just give us grace. He also gives us truth. And it's not truth like you're an evil and horrible person. He gives us truth to teach us the best way to live our lives. See, Jesus gives us grace and that's gonna get us into heaven when we die. He doesn't just want you to experience freedom when you die though. He wants you to experience the best life possible right now. And that's why Jesus teaches so much in the Bible. Think about this. If all Jesus cared about was you going to heaven when you die, he would not have had to preach a single sermon, right? If literally all Jesus cared about was where you spent eternity, he never would have had to perform a single miracle. He never would have needed to say anything. He would have just lived his perfect life. He would have died on the cross and resurrected three days later. And I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're thinking, well, Michael, it all plays part in showing his divinity. And I get it. It's all part of one big story. I do have a degree in this. I know what I'm talking about. But if all he cared about was what happened when you die, he didn't need to do anything else. He didn't need to leave us with anything else. He didn't need to teach us anything else. The point is this. Jesus doesn't just teach you the best way to die. He teaches you the best way to live. Jesus recognizes that this life is hard, that this life is messy, that this life is broken. To be honest, he understands that this world kind of sucks. And so Jesus teaches throughout the Bible how to live in this messed up, broken world. And there's a truth that's essential to understanding how Jesus guides you to live. And if you don't understand the truth that I'm going to explain in a second, you're going to completely misunderstand the series that we're going into, right? You'll think this entire series is about earning God's favor, which it is not. Or you'll think that you need to do something to get right with God, and that couldn't be further from the truth, grace. But here's part of the truth that Jesus teaches us and what the Bible teaches us. You harvest what you plant. You harvest what you plant. God, had, God has put things in place to work a certain way. God is a God of systems. I love systems. It's one of the reasons why I love God. God creates systems. He's the master of systems. God created the solar system. Your body that he created is a system. This is why when you get sick, we don't just pray. You go to the doctor and you figure out what system in your body isn't working how it's supposed to. And this is because God created systems. That's the way he created the world to work. And one of the systems is that you harvest what you plant. If you plant a sunflower seed, you will harvest sunflowers, right? If you plant potatoes, you will harvest potatoes. It really is that simple. If you plant grass, you will not harvest carrots. And I know some of you aren't gardeners, but it really is that simple. Whatever you plant, you harvest, right? Like this is super deep today. You guys are like, this is wonderful. But, and for me, like, I don't even know gardening. I don't like gardening. My wife does it. 
And even I understand, right, you harvest what you plant. Galatians 6, 7 says it this way. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. It's inevitable. It's a system that exists in this world. If you plant credit cards, you will harvest years of getting out of debt. That is just how it works. And just because you accept grace, just because you start following Jesus, doesn't mean that this principle changes. If you plant studying for the test, you will harvest good grades. If you plant purity, you will harvest shame-free passion in your marriage. If you plant integrity, you will harvest healthy relationships. Grace doesn't change the basic structure of the universe. And this is why throughout the Bible, there's wisdom on how to live. To be honest, this is why you should be reading your Bible every day. We say this all the time. Like you need to be learning the best way to live in this crazy, messed up, broken world because Jesus teaches how to do that. And so you read your Bible every day so you can learn practical wisdom on how to follow Jesus because Jesus wants to give you freedom right now. But if you don't understand, and I can't emphasize this enough, that Jesus gives grace and truth, If you don't understand that part of his truth is that you harvest what you plant, this series that we're going into will make no sense to you and you will be completely lost. And what it will do is it'll throw off the view of God that scripture teaches. You will think that you're either trying to earn favor with God, which you can't do. Jesus came for that grace. Or you ignore this and think you can just pray all your problems away. But you harvest what you plant. It's grace and truth. And all of that is the foundation for this series that we're going into called Uncommon. You harvest what you plant, and this impacts the honor that you give and receive. And so we've talked about this before, but honor means to treat as uncommon. So honor means to treat as uncommon. To honor someone or to honor something means to treat it as uncommon. Right, if you have gold jewelry, you don't throw it in the junk drawer where you keep your batteries and your tape and your extra paper clips and all that junk, right? You keep your gold jewelry, things that are precious to you in a special place, right? Maybe that's a jewelry box, maybe that's a safe because it's valuable, right? Somewhere out of the way because this jewelry that you have is not common, it's special. And what I've realized is that honor is a lost virtue in our culture. We treat people as common. We treat things as common. We treat freedom as common. We treat people who fight for our freedom as common. We treat the elderly as common, right? We treat teachers as common. And I can go on and you could list things as well. And so I try not to be a person that talks in hyperbole. And I do my best to under-promise and over-deliver because I don't want to set people's expectations too high only for them to be let down But here's what I believe, and I believe this to my core about this series. I believe that if you embrace what God wants to teach you in this series, your life will look dramatically different in the impact that you have. I really believe that in a way that this series is a fork in the road for you as an individual and for us as a church. And so we can keep doing what we're doing, but if we do it with honor, if we treat people as uncommon, if we treat things as uncommon, the church as uncommon, our mission as uncommon, the impact you have as an individual and we have as a group will be completely different. And so that's why we're doing this series because I believe that if we embrace what God teaches us through scripture in this series, it will change the trajectory of our church forever and your life forever. And I just believe that. And so let's get into the Bible verses for today. And let me set it up this way. Each week we have a central Bible verse that we look at. Sometimes it's a sentence, sometimes it's a story, sometimes 
It's a paragraph. Today is a very short story, and I'm going to tell you most of it. And it happened 3,000 years ago. So Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. So 1,000 years before Jesus, God has brought his people, the Israelites, into their land, the promised land where the nation of Israel still resides today. And the way they worshiped God was that they had a tent. And this tent was called the tabernacle. It was their place of worship. Think about it as portable church, right? Anywhere the nation of Israel went, they could bring this tent, this tabernacle with them. They set it up. They could worship God in that space. And so the whole country would come to worship there. And the way they did that was by offering sacrifices because this is what God commanded them to do. He said, offer sacrifices of animals to worship him. And right, I know this is a little bit bizarre, but this was 3,000 years ago, and this was what God wanted them to do. God had also said that there's one tribe or family that's in charge of leading worship for the entire country. And the head of this family, the high priest, was a man named Eli. And the Bible teaches us that Eli had two sons. And it tells us in the book of 1 Samuel that both of his sons completely disregarded the commands of God. There's actually two examples. The first is that they took advantage of the people who were trying to offer sacrifices. Right, so you wanting to be a good follower of God would bring your animal that you're going to sacrifice to the tabernacle. And again, I know it's bizarre. But before they could sacrifice the animal uh, the way that God asked them to, Eli's son w- sons would actually interject. Right, they would interrupt. They would say, hey, we'll, we'll take care of this for you. And they would actually sacrifice the animals themselves. And so they weren't letting people worship the way that God called them to worship. In addition to that, Scripture says that Eli's two sons were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tabernacle. They were using their position of authority to manipulate the volunteers who were trying to serve God by convincing them that this was how they needed to worship, was by sleeping with these two guys. And Eli, the father who's actually in charge, he knows all of this. Like the story tells us that he actually goes to them and he tells them, you have to stop. But the truth is, when you read the story, you realize it's just kind of passive, right? He doesn't make them stop. He's the one who's in charge. He just kind of asks them politely, if you guys don't mind, can you stop manipulating people and stopping them from worshiping God? But because he doesn't actually do anything about it, what God does is that he intervenes. And this is what God says in 1 Samuel 2. He says, the time is coming. He's talking to Eli. He says, the time is coming when I'll put an end to your family so it will no longer serve as my priests. And so what is God teaching them? God's teaching them that they're going to harvest what they planted. He continues, all the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. So what God is saying is like, listen, your family's done, right? We put you in this place of leadership. You manipulated, you took advantage of people. You're no longer gonna be able to lead and specifically lead worship for the Israelite people. And God says that he's gonna put someone in place that who's actually going to follow and obey his commands, someone in place who will actually let the people worship the way God called them to worship. And in the midst of this message from God, there's a key verse that actually sets up our entire series. And this is what God says in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. He says, I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think of me lightly. Now this verse is why we started today talking about grace and truth. Because if you think God is only grace, this verse won't make sense to you. But he's grace and truth. And so honor is a principle of harvesting what you plant, right? He says, I will honor those who honor me. Now, let me address the second part of this verse uh, where he says, I will despise those who think lightly of me. You can think lightly of God and still repent. 
right? You can change your mind and your ways and you can come back to God and he will show you grace for that. But what God is saying is that there's a principle of honor that you harvest what you plant. So God says, I will honor those who honor me. And so this whole series is about this idea of honor. And just to be clear, honor is not the same as grace, right? You can honor someone as a way of showing them grace because some of the people you'll show honor to don't deserve it. We're actually gonna talk about that in this series. And, and this Bible verse teaches us that honor actually has a reward. When you honor, you reap rewards and you harvest things that other people don't get. And we're gonna talk about that in this series as well. But honor and this idea in many ways is the key to unlocking what God wants for your life, the freedom that God wants you to experience, the blessings that God wants for you. And so if you're not experiencing the full life that Jesus promises, it's very likely it's because you're not treating God or people as uncommon. And so I wanna give you a couple takeaways today to set up this entire series. And I know I've brought this up already, uh, but I really would, would encourage you to write it down, take a picture of it or something. But honor means to treat as uncommon. This is the core throughout this entire series, but realistically, this should be the core throughout so much of our life. A few months after the Church Planters Roundtable that I went to, I was spending time with a few pastors uh, who were there that day. We're, we're kind of hanging out, grabbing lunch. And one of the staff members asked their lead pastor who was present, asked their boss, if he could get him some water because he looked thirsty. And then he continued by saying, I just want to make sure you feel honored. And everyone at the table started to laugh, except for the lead pastor, right? They were legitimately mocking the scenario I shared earlier and doing it at the expense of their own boss. And I could tell, like watching the scenario, like watching them do this, you could tell it bothered him. But the thing was, like they would tell you that's just kind of their culture. They tease each other. But here's what I realized in that moment. And I think this is important. This is the first takeaway. Not honoring someone doesn't mean you're treating someone badly, right? They weren't treating their pastor badly. He's a friend. They have that culture. They tease each other all the time. They weren't criticizing, making fun of them, making him feel less than what he was. But what they were doing is they were treating him as common. And you see the difference? I'll use me for an example. Like you can follow me around during the week and I don't really treat people badly unless you're a bad driver. I am terrible to bad drivers. I live off of 40, those two lanes that turn right. If you're in the left lane and you don't turn right at, on red, I will honk at you, I will yell at you, I shout things at you, okay? So the reality is I'm not great. I treat people when they're driving poorly as common. I'm working on that. But God is saying, I want you to treat people as uncommon, right? I want you to treat people the way you treat me. I want you to honor people, not dishonor them. Here's another takeaway. Honor starts in the heart. Honor starts in the heart. There's a story in, in the Bible about this. Uh, at one point in Israel's history, this is all before Jesus, God had a complaint against his people because of the sacrifices they were offering. And so what he does is he sends a man named Malachi, who's a prophet. He sends Malachi to his people and he says, Malachi, I need you to deliver this message. Tell my people that I'm not happy about the sacrifices that they're offering. And God knows everything. He knows what the Israelites are gonna say. He says, listen, when you say that the Israelites are gonna respond, they're gonna say, what do you mean? Right, we're offering the sacrifices just like you told us to. And so God, again, knowing this, tells Malachi, hey, when they say that thing, say this, tell them that I'm not pleased with how they're offering their sacrifices. But God, again, knows the Israelites are gonna have questions and they're gonna ask, what do you mean? And so he says back to Malachi, he says, listen, tell them you're offering bad sacrifices because when you bring me sacrifices, you're supposed to bring me 
the best you've got. And so the way that they offered sacrifices was they sacrificed animals, but what the Israelites were doing is they were bringing animals that were blind or crippled, right? Animals that they themselves wouldn't eat, animals that they themselves wouldn't give to other people. That is what they were offering to God. So God's complaint through Malachi was this, you're going through the motions and technically, yes, you are following the letter of the law, but your heart is not in it. I just don't like it. So honor starts in the heart. Picture it this way. My 10-year wedding anniversary was last Wednesday. And what if I went home last Wednesday and I bought Ray, my wife, an amazing present and it was wrapped beautifully. And then when I walk into her to greet her, she's sitting in the living room and I just kind of toss it to her, right? And before she opens it, I start grumbling and start complaining because you know, it's not really in the budget, but it's, I'm, I'm, it's 10 years, right? You have to give a gift and just gave it to her so essentially she wouldn't be mad at me. And then she asks, like, do I need to open it now or later? I'm like, I don't care, do whatever you like. Do you think she would like that? My wife is an awesome person. She's super chill. She would still hate that, right? And the point is that God is saying honor starts in the heart. And so the people of Israel were going through the motions, but their heart wasn't in it. So even if I got raised something that was super creative and something that was just for her, she might like it for a moment, but my heart is not in it. And that ends up being a deeper issue. The next takeaway is this. You can't fake honor. Now, sometimes you will your emotions where to go, right? Like Jesus actually teaches this in Matthew 6. He says, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. And so what he's teaching is put your money where you want your heart to be and your heart will follow it. That's how much power money has on our lives. It's not faking it, right? It's not fake it till you feel it. It's not fake it till you make it. It's saying, I want to want this. So I'm going to act in a way that I know will make me emotionally care about this thing. And so God in Malachi is saying, don't fake it. Don't just go through the motions. Don't be a hypocrite where you're acting like you care, but you really don't. So honor starts in the heart and you can't fake it. Romans 12.9 says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. The author continues by writing this. He says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I mean, that's straight from the Bible. That's straight from how we're supposed to live our lives. So the question is, do you really love the people that are in your life, right? Or do you fake it? To be honest, we find this a lot in the church, right? If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a church person, you would say, I know that God teaches me to love God and love people. So I say out loud, my religion is loving God and loving people. But the reality is the reason why over and over and over again in scripture, it tells us to love people, genuinely love people, truly have affection for them, take delight in honoring them is because we say it, but we don't do it. And that leads to the next takeaway. The next takeaway is this, honor takes action. Honor takes action. It can't just stay in the heart. Sometimes we honor things in our heart, right? We cherish them, we revere them, we care about them, but then we don't do anything about it. I'll give you another example from my life. Uh, if you care about someone, you can have someone that you care about that's important to you, that you would say, hey, they've impacted you. And let's say they give you a call and leave you a voicemail and you don't call them back. You don't text them. You don't anything. If you don't do something to let that person know that they're important to you, that's treating them as common. This happened to me this week. On Monday afternoon, I got a call from my best friend from childhood, someone I've known since I was four years, four years old. I care a ton about him. I've shared stories about him from this stage. I've even shared from this stage. He's one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And he called me on Monday. I haven't called him or texted him back. 
And so it doesn't matter if I care about him in my heart, if I put him into a sermon, if that's where that action stays. Because honor you keep to yourself isn't honor. Honor is about actions and not just start it, your heart. It starts in the heart, but it leads to action. And the truth is, this is a problem for a lot of us. Because a lot of us, if you interrogate us, we would say, I really respect that. We'd say, I really care about that. We'd say, she is not a common person in my life. He is not a common friend to me. But the thing is, we don't do anything about it. This is why James in the Bible says, you say you have faith, I will show you my faith. And I think you could easily substitute that for honor. You say you have honor, I will show you my honor. And so I don't know about you, but I personally want to be somebody that treats others as uncommon. Right? It's great to have the warm and fuzzies for someone in your heart, and that's where it starts, but it can't stay there. There has to be action. Honor starts in the heart, but it absolutely means nothing if it just stays there inside of us, like if it just becomes a thought that we have, because honor takes action. Now, I'm going to finish with this today. Uh, over the next five weeks, uh, if you just come this week, or to be honest, if you just come a week or two during this series, it really isn't going to change your life. Even this sermon as it is, like talking to you about this idea of honor, the idea of loving people, a lot of you would say like, that's a piece of who you are, right? You've learned that before. You've heard that before. But the truth is the, the upcoming weeks in this series is all about taking that feeling that we have in our heart and learning how do we do it? How do we do it with people we don't love? How do we do it all the time? How do we focus on ourselves and being a person of honor? And maybe as a pastor, I shouldn't say this, but... It's never stopped me before from saying things at Collective. If you're not gonna come every week, just come back for the next series. Because the truth is every single week that we talk about this topic builds on the next. And if you miss a piece of this, you'll be like a lot of people where you say you have honor, but you don't give it. Where you would like to receive honor, but you don't really want to plant it. Right, where you talk about how God treats people as uncommon, but that's where your religion ends. And so each week is important to build on it. And so I just challenge you to be here so that we can really see what God wants to do with this. Because I believe that God wants to change the impact you will have for the rest of your life in his teaching on honor. And so I want you to come back the next few weeks so that we can be a church of honor. Because God says, those who honor me, I will honor. And I'm convinced that if we embrace this idea, we embrace this virtue called honor, this truth called honor of treating people and things, even organizations as uncommon, God will turn the world upside down through us. Before we started Collective, we looked at like 45 or 50 places for a location of this church, and each one of them said no. We reached out to real estate agents. We reached out to schools, nonprofits, theaters. If it could seat people, we sent you an email asking, can we meet there? And they sent us an email back saying no. And the majority of the locations that said no uh, actually told us that at some point in their history, they'd actually rented space to a church and the church treated them as common. We heard stories about churches who stopped paying rent. We ch heard stories about churches who came, used space, left it worse and disheveled and dirty and made the volunteers come and clean it up. We heard stories about churches who were never thankful or grateful or didn't communicate with the space or the people who own this space. And so because of this, most locations told us that they would never allow a portable church to meet in that space again. So when Wes Frederick opened up the door for us to meet here, one thing I told our staff was that I wanted to treat the school so well that the other schools were jealous. 
right? I wanted to treat this school with so much honor that the principal, when she goes on her principal meetings or whatever they do in the summer, that she tells everyone else that you need a church in your space on Sunday mornings because it's wonderful, right? I want her to be able to share to the other principals that Collective cares for their teachers by writing them notes, by buying them coffee, by buying them lunch, that Collective cares for the students by dropping off school supplies, by restocking their food pantry, by letting them borrow our own church gear so they can have better performances in this space. That Collective cares about the custodial staff by leaving this space better than how we found it, by writing them thank you cards and letting them know that they are behind the scenes, but we see them and we care for them. And so my hope is that we treat this space so well and this school so well that when we outgrow this space, which we will, I want that honor to continue even though we're not meeting here. Because I think if we just did that, if we just focused on that as a church, we could change this community forever. What if we just treated the teachers who work here Monday through Friday so well that they knew there's a church here that loves us. There's a church here who cares for these children. There's a church here that tries to take care of the needs of these children because they know without food, without space, without clothing, they're not going to learn anyways. And they know there's a church that meets here on Sunday that wants to treat those kids in this community with honor. My dream is that the principal here shares how well you all love this space and this school so much that they go to every principal in Frederick and principals in this city and in this county begin to think, I hope a church like Collective rents out our school one day. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that really change the world if we treated this space with honor? I'm gonna make it about Collective for a second and we're gonna look inward. And I'm gonna talk about Collective Kids, but this applies to every team at Collective. Connections, band, production, set up and tear down. But I'm gonna talk about kids ministry. What if... Those of us who are parents, who have kids right now in Collective Kids, learning about God in a fun environment with our team members who are pouring themselves out into next generation, what if we as parents, and this includes myself, did such a good job of honoring our Collective Kids team members that there was a waiting list of people to serve in that space? Right? What if people fought to serve in Collective Kids because us as parents who have kids back there treated those volunteers so well that there was a waiting list? Because they knew if they served in Collective Kids that the parents are unbelievable, right? The parents don't think of it as daycare. The parents don't think of it as a time that they don't need to be by their kids for an hour and someone else will deal with it, right? That the parents showered them with thanks, asked them how they're doing, and actually prayed for them during the week. What if the parents, again, me included, wrote thank you notes and bought their favorite Starburst drink to let them know that we love them and we know it's really hard to care for 40 kids when it's hot like today. What if we were that church, and what if Bethany, our collective kids director, had to actually turn people away and tell them, sorry, we're full. You can go serve on another team that's not as good as ours because our, our people treat our kids team like they're the best people in the world. Like, what if we did that? What if we were that church? You see what I'm talking about here? It's about honor. And so here's the thing. We don't treat people badly most of the time. Right? You're not a jerk most of the time. But what we do is we treat people as common. And God has put this principle in place and he tells us you harvest what you plant. He's saying, here's the deal. I will honor those who honor me. And so the truth is you can be a Christian and not embrace this. You can go to heaven when you die and not embrace this. That's, that's grace. I just know that Jesus said, I'm gonna give you life to the full. And in order to do that, we have to embrace this idea of honor. And it all comes down to this. The best example ever of somebody being treated as uncommon 
And the best time we ever see that is when we look at the cross because Jesus didn't treat you as you deserve. He didn't treat you as common, right? He says that you're uncommon. He says that you're special. He says, even though you might not believe it yet, he's gonna show you how special he is. He's gonna give up his own life for yours. And because of that, I know for me, I want to live the free and full life that Jesus has to offer. Not just when I die, I want it now. And so that's why we're starting this series today. And I want you to come back next week so that we can be a community and that we can be individuals that change the impact we have on this city, on this school, on this church, on this community, on the people and family and friends in our life because we decide to stop treating people as common and treat them with honor. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful um, that honor starts with you. Because the truth is, God, if honor started with us, it just wouldn't exist in this world. And so, God, we're thankful that the example that you give us uh, is you. God, that for some reason you, you think we're uncommon. God, that you honor us. God, even though we struggle with this idea because there are times when we feel common and we don't feel special, we don't even feel like anybody's noticing us. But God, we learn time and time again in the Bible that you cherish us that you love us, that you call us good. God, that you think that we are uncommon. God, I pray this week you give us opportunities to treat people with honor. God, that it doesn't stay in our heart. God, it doesn't stay the verse in the Bible that we know to love you and love people. But God, we actually act that out. God, give us opportunities this week to be those people. God, give us opportunities uh, to point people toward you and the honor that you give and the grace that you give and the truth that you teach us. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.